Virginia creates a time capsule so future generations can learn just why America collapsed. And as Americans remain trapped in Afghanistan, COVID lockdowns loom and culture war breaks out everywhere, the Biden administration has a new old plan. Throw money at all the things. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Thousands of my listeners have already secured their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, Joe Biden is not deterred. He's going to spend more money than anyone has ever seen. And this means now is an excellent time for you to diversify at least a little bit into precious metals. You can see it at the pump, the grocery store, and construction costs. Another month of the highest inflation since 2008. Another month where paper money you're carrying around is worth less than it was, you know, just a couple of months ago. So what exactly is your plan to protect your savings? You have homeowners insurance in case of a fire. What sort of financial insurance do you have in place if inflation sets in further and pushes prices even higher? Well, part of my insurance plan, gold and silver from Birch Gold Group. If you haven't reached out to Birch Gold to diversify your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA, go ahead and do it today. Text Ben to 474747. Get a free information kit on protecting your savings with gold. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers. Talk to them. Have them help you safeguard your retirement savings. Text Ben to 474747. You can claim your free no-obligation information kit on holding gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account again. Text Ben to 474747 to take the first step in protecting your savings today. Text my name, Ben, to 474747 and get in touch with my friends over at Birch Gold to get started. All righty. So, first of all, just want to say Shana Tava Umtukatu. All of my listeners, that means have a happy and sweet new year because the last couple of days I was off thanks to the Jewish New Year, which is a time for reflection. It's a time for thought. It's a time for making new resolutions. It's a time for renewal, in fact. And the good news is that we did that in my community. We spent some time thinking about all of those things. And then the bad news was I came back and I read the news and I realized that the United States is in an, apparently an irreversible state of decline. <laughs> that seems to be all the news that is fit to print. And the great indicator of this was the situation that has now arisen over the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue in Virginia. Now, here's the thing. I totally understand why people would want the Robert E. Lee statue removed in Richmond, Virginia. I do. I get it. I understand if you're a black American and you look at a statue of Robert E. Lee who presided over the Army of the Confederacy, which was an army that was in favor of the remaining, the, the continuation of slavery. You look at that statue and you say, why exactly are people paying homage to this man? Why exactly would we do that? Isn't that a vestige of American racism? I get it. I do. I also understand the people who are descended from Southerners who fought in the Civil War who look at Lee and what they see was a, a man who presided over the, the Civil War, yes, but also presided over Reconstruction to the extent that he didn't continue the guerrilla war, right? This is a major issue at the time is whether Robert E. Lee was actually going to continue to foment the Civil War after his surrender at Appomattox. And he pledged that he would not do so and he would use all of his efforts to bring the country back together. There was a feeling in the South that he was sort of the, the romantic figure of gentlemanliness. Some of that image has been obviously tarnished by historians who have now come forth with new details about his life. But Lee was a very human figure in a lot of variegated forms. And what that means is that people view him in different ways. So I totally understand the argument to remove Robert E. Lee's statue. I get it. I think that there are people who make the argument that Robert E. Lee's statue should come down for the same reason that a George Washington or Abraham Lincoln statue should come down. That's idiotic. And that is a different argument. And herein lies the problem. The problem is not 
the pure removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. Although my view of this generally is with Condoleezza Rice's view of this, which is that statues generally ought to remain up because they remind us of a past when people were in fact held in high esteem despite having really, really bad views and fighting for really bad things. And so that provides you a a jumping off point for discussion of these issues. What was going on in America in 1858? Why did people think in 1890 it was worthwhile to build this statue of Robert E. Lee, this gigantic 21-foot statue of Robert E. Lee? All of those things are good for the discussion of the American body politic and American history. It's kind of funny that in a time when we are told that we have to review American history and we have to rethink American history, there's a simultaneous attempt to remove all the iconography of the past in order so that we never have to discuss it ever again. Right? That's, that's kind of bizarre. So my view is that the statue should remain and we should discuss the statue in all of its complexity and all of its nuance. Okay, however... That's really not my issue here. My issue is what we replace things with, what we replace American history with, what we replace that discussion with, and what we have decided to replace the discussion of American history with, what we have decided to replace our own history with is a perverse, simplified wokeness that does spell the end of America in pretty much all of its forms. Not the getting rid of the Robert E. Lee statue per se, but what we are replacing it with. And what I mean here is that there was a time capsule that was buried under the Robert E. Lee statue in the base of the statue. We are now replacing it. Okay, this is the part that's kind of astonishing. And also, the imagery that was associated with the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. Right? If you're going to remove the iconography of the past, it should be done in a sort of, I would say, solemn fashion. It should be done very seriously. Instead, the Robert E. Lee statue was removed to the wild celebration of a crowd below as though they were toppling a statue of Saddam Hussein or something. Robert E. Lee does not preside over the country, nor did he ever preside over the country per se, right? He was the general of the Confederacy, the Confederacy was defeated between 1861 and 1865. And you saw one of the people who was taking this thing down, who'd been tasked with taking this down, putting up the Black Lives Matter fist as this was taken down. Now you can say that maybe the statue should be taken down, but replacing it with the ideology of Black Lives Matter, which is that America is invariably racist, not only conflicts with the actual imagery, which is a black man taking down a statue of a Confederate general, which does not bespeak the white supremacy of the United States in 2021. But also Black Lives Matter is is pushed and, and based on a lie. The lie that black Americans are immutably stricken by the American systems of power. That it's, it's the same sort of rationale as critical race theory, Black Lives Matter. And if you're a black person in America, you live with the boot of America on your throat. All day long. That obviously is not true. I mean, we're literally taking down statues right now right, that offend people. But that sort of imagery is telling. What's even more telling is, again, the time capsule. So the time capsule to me is the story, not even the the removal of the statue. The statue is a story, but a much bigger story and a more indicative story is this time capsule removal because they removed a time capsule, right? which is generally you put vestiges of what you think are the most important objects of the day and you bury them. And then in 100 years, the cool thing about a time capsule is you open it up And you have all the artifacts from 120 years ago, 130 years ago, and you can see what was important to people at the time. What we replaced the objects in the time capsule with underneath the Robert E. Lee statue says everything about this. Future archaeologists are going to have zero problems whatsoever understanding the decline and fall of the United States. They're going to look at this time capsule and they're going to go, oh, well, that was not a toughie. That was not difficult. It's not going to be Edward Gibbon writing a millennium later, trying to figure out exactly why Rome declined and fell and trying to suss out all of the various rationales. It, it, it is not going to be trying to discern the complexity of the fall of the British Empire. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, this time capsule kind of tells the story, like this, this little box right here. I'll explain in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact 
that big tech, big government, one of the things that they have in common is they want to monitor you at pretty much all times. And very often, they want to use the data that they monitor against you. Let's say you're a proud gun owner and you want to talk on social media about the right to bear arms. Well, chances are your post will be flagged by a content moderator. You might end up on some kind of government watch list to fight back against having your voice censored by both big tech and big government. I recommend ExpressVPN. See, the problem with big tech is not only do they attempt to censor you, but they also track what you do online, what you're searching for, the videos you watch, everything you click. They can match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. When I use ExpressVPN, they can't see my IP address at all. My identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of my internet data for protection from hackers and eavesdroppers. ExpressVPN is by far the best VPN I've tried. There's a reason that it is number one rated by CNET, TechRadar, countless other tech publications. Go check them out right now. It's super easy, right? You just download it with one click, another click. You are now protected with ExpressVPN. Stop letting big tech and big government censor and track you. Defend your rights. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben to get three months for free. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Alrighty, so here is the actual story behind the story. So they got rid of the Robert Ely statue. And then they took away the artifacts that were inside this time capsule that had been placed in the pedestal of the monument on October 27th, 1887. They said that the objects in the old capsule were believed to have ties to the Confederacy. Ralph Northam, the governor, who also apparently had ties to the Confederacy, considering he was either wearing blackface or a KKK outfit in his medical yearbook. He says this monument and its time capsule reflected Virginia in 1890. And it's time to remove both so our public spaces better reflect who we are as a people in 2021. Now, here we go. What exactly was in the new time capsule? Right? What, what, what did they decide that they were going to place inside the new time capsule? This is supposed to, remember, signify what America is all about. What is in the artifact list now? Okay, so here is what they put in there. They put in there a Black Lives Matter sticker, right, which is, again, signification of a movement that suggests that America is irredeemably racist. They took down a Robert Ely statue because America's irredeemably racist. So you've got these stickers saying America's irredeemably racist. They have writing a new history kente cloth worn by the commissioners of the congressionally chartered 400 years of African-American History Commission and Ghanaian emissaries that participated in the 400th commemoration of 1619. Right, so we have a, a kente cloth in commemoration of the 1619 project, which again is a... a designation that America is rooted in evil and can never be extricated from that evil and all of its institutions are shot through with that evil. Evil. We have a Virginia is for lovers pride pin and sticker, which is great. So we have a, a pride pin signifying our our love and and celebration of alternative sexual proclivities and behaviors. Not not of the family. No, you not not like a signification of the family, but like the pride pin. We have also the Virginia Ratify ERA, Equal Rights Amendment sash, and the Equal Rights Amendment 2020 pins. So that's very important, right? So we have an Equal Rights Amendment sash and pins for a constitutional amendment that is not actually adopted and that suggests that there are no differences between men and women in law. We have a First Lady face mask submitted by First Lady Pamela Northam. So first, so it's her own face mask that goes in the time capsule. It's important future generations know that we were insane and that we face masked presumably until the end of the American Republic. We have photos and flyers from Stop Asian Hate protests in May 2021 in the Virginia time capsule. 
Now, so far, have you heard anything that celebrates America? Like a single thing in this time capsule that says that America is good or that our fundamental institutions are good? Nope. Zero things. None. The only thing that really has to do with the institutions of Virginia, per se, is a photo of the Virginia State Police at 14th Street and, and F Street Northwest in Washington, helping Washington Metro Police Department patrol the city for unrest after the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Right, so we have a commemoration of January 6th, which is really important so people understand that, that the real threat to the United States was a bunch of droogs who ran into the Capitol building. We have an expired vial of the COVID-19 Pfizer vaccine and the CDC vaccination record card. So if you think that America has always been rooted in a creed, that America has a civic religion, and typically that civic religion is embodied by the Declaration of Independence, say the American flag, you know, apple pie, motherhood, all of that. We have now replaced this with the pride flag pin, a kente cloth for 1619, the, the pseudo-pagan worship of scientific materialism via a COVID-19 vaccine vial and a face mask for the first lady. Yeah, I really don't think that the future is going to have a very tough time figuring out exactly why, um, why America fell. I feel like this one's going to be real easy for us. And here's the thing. As America collapses within and America collapses without, the story is that we are basically just going to eat ourselves to death. We're now the plot of Wally. Right? The best hope for the United States, according to the Democrats and according to Joe Biden, is that as we rip ourselves apart, as we lose all centralizing principle, as we collapse on the foreign front, as we do all of those things, at the very least, what we can do is park our asses in a recliner and just eat a bunch of fatty foods until we die. That's it. And, and the government will pay for all of that. Unless you're unvaccinated, in which case die on your own. But otherwise, the government will pay for all of these things. We'll get to all of this in just one second, because the polarization continues to pace. What we're watching is a America come apart at the seams, an intolerant left that refuses to acknowledge that there are other people in the United States who still want to live by the promises of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, and instead want to supplant a, a racial tribalism and a, and a sort of sexual profligacy that is uh, unmoored from reality, growth, or decency. They, they want to do all of these things and, and then they want to pay you to basically ignore it. We'll get to more of this in a second. I know it's a depressing message coming back from the Jewish New Year, but I call them like I see them. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about something great you can do for your family. Let's talk about Legacy Box. Legacy Box is your chance to have aging tapes, films, and photos digitally preserved so the essential people and moments from your family's history can be revisited and shared for generations. This week, Legacy Box is offering 50% off at LegacyBox.com Shapiro so you can turn a lifetime of memories into a highlight reel. Your family history deserves to be highlighted and shared. So we've used Legacy Box ourselves. I went over to my parents' house. They had a bunch of old film reels. They had a bunch of old pictures. They had a bunch of stuff like VHS tapes that were just falling apart. And uh, we stuffed them in a box, sent them to Legacy Box. Legacy Box monitored them the whole time so we knew where they were in the process. And then they sent back these digitally preserved copies and the originals. And my parents are able to access them. They gave us copies of all of them. Really, really cool stuff. Legacy Box is a simple way to keep loved ones close. They've helped over 1 million families restore and protect their most cherished memories. Visit LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro to take advantage of this limited time offer for 50% off. Honor the moments that have shaped your family. I think this stuff is super duper important. Take advantage of this exclusive offer today and then use their kit whenever you are ready. That's LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro to save 50% right now. LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so it is not merely that the sort of Virginia 
time capsule is a time capsule of America is that the people who are putting together things like the Virginia time capsule believe that this is what America should look like uniformly. There is no tolerance for other points of view. This doesn't come courtesy of me. This comes courtesy of Thomas Edsel, who is certainly no conservative writing for the New York Times. He has a piece today that is quite fascinating. He says, a highly charged ideological transition reflecting a massive four-decade-long shift in political values and attitudes among more educated people, a shift from concern with traditional materialist issues like redistribution to a concern for public goods like the environment and diversity is a driving force in the battle between left and right, according to Richard Florida, an urbanologist at the University of Toronto. This ideological transition has been accompanied by the concentration of liberal elites in urban centers, Florida continued in an email, brought on by the dramatic shift to a knowledge economy, which expresses itself on the left as wokeness and on the right as populism. I worry that the middle is dropping out of American politics. This is not just an economic or cultural or political phenomenon. It is inextricably geographic or spatial as different groups pack and cluster into different types of community. Recent decades have witnessed what Dennis Chong, political scientist at University of Southern California, describes in an email as, quote, a demographic realignment of political tolerance in the U.S. that first became evident in the late 1980s and early 1990s. Before that, Chong pointed out, the college-educated and younger generations were among the most tolerant groups in the society of all forms of social and political nonconformity. Since the 1990s, these groups have become significantly less tolerant of, quote-unquote, hate speech pertaining to race, gender, and social identities. Chong argued the expansion of equal rights for racial and ethnic minorities, women, LGBTQ and other groups that have suffered discrimination has caused a reevaluation of the harms of slurs and other derogatory expressions in professional and social life. The result, Chong writes, in a striking reversal, liberals are now consistently less tolerant than conservatives of a wide range of controversial speech about racial, gender and religious identities. So there's been a shift from the program of the left being about materialist redistribution, right? We're just going to take some money from here. We're going to put it over here toward an attempt to cram down a particular woke point of view. You might call it an authoritarian moment. Yes, that is indeed a self-referential mention of my book title because that is what we are experiencing. We're experiencing an authoritarian moment, a replacement ideology. The traditional American ideology is being replaced wholesale with an ideology that divides us along racial and religious and tribal and sexual orientation lines and then demands that everybody who disagrees with you shut the hell up. And this is being crammed down at every level of our society. It's part of the dissolution of American influence. It's part of the dissolution of American principles. What exactly unifies us? And it's being crammed down at, again, every institutional level in our society. So Chris Rufo, who's been doing excellent work over at Manhattan Institute, he uncovered an indoctrination session over at Google. According to Rufo, Google has launched an anti-racism initiative claiming that America is a system of white supremacy and that all Americans are raised to be racist, including me, like me personally. I'm depicted in a layer of the white supremacy pyramid culminating in genocide. So they had an allyship learning session. In a, model, in a module called Allyship in Action, Google trained employees to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities and then rank themselves in a hierarchy of power and privilege then manage their reactions through crying and accessing their happy place. Again, this is all being taught at Google, the single most powerful company on planet Earth. And nearly everybody gets their information through Google or one of its associated companies like YouTube. In a video, guest lecturer Ibram Kendi claimed all Americans, including children as young as three months old, are racist. He said to be raised in the United States is to be raised as racist. And to be raised to be racist is to be raised to be almost addicted to racist ideas. And, says Kendi, the heartbeat of racism is denial. And the sound of that denial is I'm not racist. We now have a pure Kafka trap in which if you say I'm not racist, this means that you are 100% definitely racist. If you say you're racist, also you're racist because you just admitted you're racist. 
Also, Nicole Hannah-Jones admitted in a lecture to Google that she created the 1619 Project to verify her lifelong theory that everything in the modern-day United States can be traced back to slavery. Quote, if you name anything in America, I can relate it back to slavery. She says, if you're white in this country, you're the beneficiary of a 350-year system of white supremacy. How about if you're a, a tenured professor without any teaching experience or any apparent, apparent skill set celebrated and paid money to do what you do? Are you a beneficiary of the 350-year system of white supremacy also, Nicole Hannah-Jones? Okay, and then they came up with a graphic titled The White Supremacy Pyramid. Again, this is the tolerant left. And this is the cultural left that has decided that, again, all of America's founding ideals and even nuanced parts of American history are to be replaced with a simple narrative in which America is just bad. And the only things that are good are people who stand up to that evil system. Okay, so they have the white supremacy pyramid, busting the myth of white genocide in South Africa. Uh, I don't know what this has to do with white genocide in South Africa, but they say the white supremacy pyramid at the bottom is indifference. Okay, there are two sides. To, again, this is being taught to all of your betters at Google, the people who control the flow of information. Indifference. There are two sides to every story. Apolitical beliefs. Avoiding confrontation. Politics don't affect me. So if you just beg out of a question, if you just say, listen, I'm really not involved in this or I don't follow it closely or I don't know enough, that's not okay. Minimization. Okay, and then there's a picture of me, right? I'm, I'm on the bottom of the white supremacy pyramid that leads to mass murder. There's a picture of yours truly. Now, as we all know, if there's one person that the white supremacist absolutely adores me, they just love me, which is why they routinely send me death threats, why the FBI had to arrest a white supremacist two years ago for threatening my family. Yeah, the white supremacist, they, they just love me. They're, they, they, they spend all day just singing my praises. Okay, that is sarcasm for those in the media who apparently are incapable of understanding human expression. Okay, so I am engaged according to the white supremacy pyramid in minimization, the white savior complex. I'm confused what, it seems to me that, that as liberals who are involved in the white savior complex, they believe that they are the only ones with the moral wherewithal to fix the evil systems of the United States. Minimization, not all white people. So um, how's it minimization to say not all white people, but it is somehow not minimization to say not all black people. Not all white people and not all black people, that's being more specific. Specificity is good. Not believing people of color's experiences. Well, my general rule is that I believe your emotional state, but that does not mean that your emotional state is always justified. Right? Jesse Smollett was not justified. <laughs> also, like I can, I can believe that you misinterpreted something. Denial of white privilege. Again, hard to see how the heroin addict living in a Rust Belt town in Ohio is a is a beneficiary of white privilege. Post racism. So if you say that we should move beyond racism, that's minimization, and intentions are greater than impact. Okay, so I say, when I say that in order to be racist, you actually have to do a racist thing, meaning that there has to be like actual racist content to the thing you're doing. Their argument is that if there is any dispar disparate impact based on race of any policy, this is minimization that eventually leads to mass murder. Then you get to veiled racism, which is like victim blaming and racist jokes. A Eurocentric curriculum, if you teach Shakespeare, if you teach Ch Chaucer, all of this is Eurocentric. Racist icons, which I assume would mean like presumably... Who? Racist icons would be like George Washington, maybe, for these folks. Discrimination, calls for violence, violence, and then finally, mass murder. Right? This is the, um, this is the notion here. And, um, and the cops, of course, are included in um, lynching, hate crimes, and police brutality. All the same. All the same. So uh, that's the, that, that is what your betters are teaching people over at Google. Right? And this is spread across the corporate sector. This is all about the collapse of the United States at home. 
the militarization of our institutions of power against at least half of the population and probably a lot more. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I love my Helix Sleep Mattress. It is the only thing that allows me to sleep since my kids simply won't. But now, the folks at Helix, they've gone further than this. They've created a fantastic new couch. It is called the All Form. This new company, it's called Allform. They're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool? Well, for starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric. It is spill, stain, scratch resistant. The sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size and shape, make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight seat sectional. So there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your Allform sofa to grow and change with you when you move. Allform sofas are delivered directly to your door. In the past, you needed like somebody who actually knew how to put together a couch to do it for you. Not so with Allform. It's very easy to do. I've done it myself. I have an Allform sofa. I picked out the three-seat sofa with chaise in the sand color with espresso legs. It is fantastic. It is durable. My kids can beat the hell out of it. It still looks fantastic. Right now, Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Ben. Again, that's allform.com slash Ben. They have a forever warranty literally for all time. And you have at least three months to figure out if you want to keep it. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. So you got no risk. It's a fantastic sofa. I guarantee it. Allform, offering 20% off all orders right now at allform.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, so this obviously has crossed all sorts. Uh, this wokeness, the intolerant left, which is destroying our culture from within and destroying any level of comedy and any level of unity from within. This is infused to all of our institutions, all of our major institutions, which is why you saw over the weekend Warby Parker, which is some sort of uh, eyeglasses store, I'll admit to uh, not knowing them particularly well. Apparently, Warby Parker decided that they were angry that their ads cropped up on our website, Daily Wire. So here's the thing. Ads on our site are largely automated. It is not as though Warby Parker was like, we definitely need to appear on Daily Wire. But even if they had, who cares? Like, that's good. I don't care if Warby Parker appears on the on the ABC News or NBC News or, or hell, Daily Coast website. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. But it apparently makes a huge difference to people on the left. Got very, very angry at Warby Parker for one of their ads automatically cropping up on the Daily Wire page. And uh, Warby Parker then decided to make a statement that they were not going to allow their ads to appear on our page ever, ever again. So here's the thing. All of you guys, uh, you know, all of my fans, feel free to never go to Warby Parker again. Really, they just lost a lot more customers by me saying that than they did by taking the ad, by leaving the ad on the site. If they'd left the ad on the site, I wouldn't be on the air right now telling you not to shop at Warby Parker. But don't bother, because obviously their wokeness takes priority over their interest in reaching you, the consumers, who include, by the way, many people who don't agree with me on politics. As, uh, as Kevin Williamson in National Review puts it, he says, all of these people you know, who listen to my show, they do buy reasonably priced eyewear. They've bought eyewear at the Warby Parker store at North Park Center in Dallas, at the Warby Parker Boutique in the Woodlands in Addison, at West Bend in Fort Worth, at Legacy Point in Plano. Warby Parker's co-CEO Neil Blumenthal rejoices in the Greenwich Village address at which he pays a multi-million dollar home decorated with Jeff Koons paintings, but pays but a good chunk of his customer base lives elsewhere. So do his employees. So do a lot of his potential investors because the company is currently planning an IPO. So I look forward to none of the people who listen to my show buying their stock or short selling. That would be just terrible if Warby Parker's stock were to tank over this. I'd feel so, so bad. But the point is this. These corporations have decided they're going to mirror the woke priorities of a radical left that is seeking to destroy any level of common cause in the United States. 
which is why Lyft is now proudly coming out and saying that they're going to pay the legal bills for any drivers who get sued under the new Texas abortion law. Now, maybe they have to do that legally because they don't want people who work for Lyft quitting their job out of fear of legal liability. But that's not all they said. They didn't just say, listen, we want to protect all of our drivers from legal liability, no matter where they're transporting people, because listen, we're just a transportation company. And so we're going to contribute to their defense. Instead, the Lyft general counsel came out and said, every single company should follow our lead and actually fund the abortion process. Like this is, we're, we're doing an act of good. Abortion is an act of good. These are your major corporations. Here's the Lyft general counsel. You know, Nicole, I wish I knew. Um, I, I, I think abortion, has been historically considered a third rail issue, one that businesses don't take a stand on. I, I hope that that changes. I hope that this is the moment that that changes. Um, I'm very proud to work at Lyft where we bring our values to the forefront. And I'm very proud to have two male co-founders, John and Logan, who actually th this idea <laughs> originated with Logan, our CEO. And of course, I was very happy to stand in support of it and, and happy to be speaking with you now. Um, it, many women and many men, nearly everybody knows a loved one, maybe themselves, a partner who has had an abortion. And this is a women's rights, a women's health issue. So this should be an issue that every company is willing to speak out on. America's corporations are militarized against traditional Americans and their worldviews and their values, right? From Google to Lyft. And not just that, our university system, obviously. So over the weekend, Peter Bogosian, who is this professor over at Portland State University, he quit Portland State University because he said it's just become unlivable here. You guys have made it so that like, freedom of inquiry is just not a thing here. He says, I eventually became convinced corrupted bodies of scholarship were responsible for justifying radical departures from the traditional role of liberal arts schools and basic civility on campus. And so he engaged in what was called the so-called squared hoax, right, where he, he submitted a bunch of fake papers to a bunch of academic journals to demonstrate how stupid the academic journals are. One of them in 2017 was an intentionally garbled, peer-reviewed paper that took aim at the new orthodoxy. Its, titled, its title was, quote, The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct. It was published in Cogent Social Science sciences, which is a journal. It argued penises were the product of the human mind and responsible for climate change. Okay, this resulted in such blowback from Portland State University that he ended up having to quit. Administrators and faculty were so angered by the papers, says Peter Bogosian, they published an anonymous piece in the student paper and Portland State filed formal charges against me. They accused him of research misconduct based on the absurd premise. The journal editors who accepted our intentionally deranged articles were human subjects. Right, as though he was experimenting on them with a drug of some sort. Meanwhile, ideological intolerance continued to grow at Portland State. In March, a tenured professor, professor disrupted a public conversation I was holding with author Christina Hoff Summers and evolutionary biologist Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying. In June 2018, someone triggered the fire alarm during my conversation with popular cultural critic Carl Benjamin. In October 2018, an activist pulled the speaker wires to interrupt a panel with former Google engineer James DeBoer. No one was punished or disciplined. He said, this is about the kind of institutions we want and the kind of values we choose. Every idea that has advanced human freedom has always without fail been initially condemned. As individuals, we often seem incapable of remembering this lesson. That's exactly what our institutions are for. To remind us the freedom to question is our fundamental right, Portland State University has failed in fulfilling this duty. This, of course, is exactly right. And it's not just those institutions. It's our scientific institutions that are failing us. Over the weekend, a series of medical journals, 200 of them, decided to issue a statement about climate change. Medical journals. I don't know what your podiatrist knows about climate change. Hell, I don't know what your podiatrist, your podiatrist knows about gastroenterology. 
But apparently, we're supposed to believe that if you have an MD after your name, you're suddenly an expert in climatology. Okay, because all of our institutions have been corrupted by woke groupthink, by left-wing groupthink, which is taking all of the commonalities that we have and tearing them apart from science to higher learning to free speech to even the notion of a colorblind meritocracy. All of those things are being destroyed piece by piece in the United States. And of course, we are supposed to ignore it. it all, all of this culminates, by the way, in bully tactics that are given the full go-ahead by the media. The most obvious case in point over the course of the last couple of days is this video that I discovered when I came online of my friend Larry Elder, who's running for governor of California and who happens to be a black man, walking through a crowd and a woke, a woke person wearing a gorilla mask, throwing an egg at him. But this woman is woke and white. So this means that she's an anti-racist activist and Larry is conservative and black, which means, of course, that he's a white supremacist. So the headline from the media is more like anti-racist activist throws egg at evil white supremacist. But here's the actual video of a black man having an egg thrown at him by a woman wearing a gorilla mask, which is apparently totally fine because, again, morality is beside the point. So there's Larry walking down the street with his security, and there is a white woman with pink hair and a gorilla mask. And then uh, hitting a security guard. So all of this is fine. All of this is good. By the way, imagine if the situation reversed and it were a white tea party or throwing an egg at a black congressperson from the Democratic Party. And you can imagine what the response would be about the systemic racism of America. In just one second, we'll get to the collapse of America abroad because the collapse of America at home is perfectly clear. First, let's talk for a second about the earbuds that you are using. So you need to chill out for a second. You need to just take a breath. But for me, that means popping a great set of earbuds in my ears and then listening to a book on tape or listening to a podcast or listening to some nice music. Hey, Raycons can make all of that happen to you. When the world gets too loud, something I love is to create my own soundtrack popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. Sometimes you need some upbeat music to pump you up before you see people or to stay calm with some guided meditation. Let me tell you right now, Raycons are the best way to listen. They come with a bunch of gel tips for your comfort. Unlike some other brands, they don't stick out of your ears. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life. You can listen to what you want when you want it for a really long time. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands. They sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Give them a try. You'll see what I mean. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon today. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash Ben. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Ben to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Buyraycon.com slash Ben to learn more. Alrighty, so as we collapse here at home, as our values are undermined, as we replace our values with time capsules of wokeness, it is a natural progression that as a country declines from within, it declines abroad. And obviously what's been happening in Afghanistan is the greatest case in point. The Taliban has now unveiled its brand new Afghan government. And I'm amused to see that the media are deeply upset that the new Taliban government includes zero women and zero trans people. It's very, very upsetting. They don't care that it's a terrorist state, but the fact that there are no women who work with the Taliban is very upsetting to them. If they had a woman on there, they'd say brand new Taliban, same old principles, but there's a person who is a woman. I mean, frankly, what the Taliban should just do is say, you know, Muhammad here is a woman and the left would have nothing to say because obviously a man can be a woman and then that would solve all of their problems. They gave senior posts to the leader of Haqqani Network, which of course is an Al-Qaeda-linked group. 
He's the minister of the interior. So he's going to handle all interior security as a terrorist associated with Al-Qaeda. So things are going just beautifully, according to the Wall Street Journal. In an appointment that would complicate any recognition of the new government by Western nations, Sirahuddin Haqqani, designated a global terrorist by Washington because of close links between Al-Qaeda and the Haqqani network he heads, was named Minister of the Interior with oversight of Afghanistan's police and internal security. The FBI is currently offering a reward of up to $5 million for information leading to his arrest. Okay, I have some information on where he is. He's in the government building right now. He's at like the seat of government. He's Minister of the Interior in Afghanistan. Am I, am I up for the $5 million now, FBI? While the Taliban's supreme leader, Haibatullah Ak- Akunzada, retains overall oversight of the state affairs, the new prime minister is Mullah Hassan Akun, who served as foreign minister in the old Islamic Emirate, which harbored, which harbored Osama bin Laden and was ousted by, from power in 2001. Akunzada said, quote, Our previous 20 years of struggle and jihad had two major goals. First, to end foreign occupation and aggression and liberate the country. And secondly, to establish a complete, independent, stable, and central Islamic system in the country. Based on this principle in the future, all matters of governance and life in Afghanistan will be regulated by the laws of the Holy Sharia. What does that look like? Well, it looks like the Taliban beating the living hell out of people. So that's great. According to the New York Times, Tensions flared with neighboring Pakistan. Afghanistan's longstanding humanitarian crisis has deepened and the militant's brutal crackdown on dissent threatened to further erode public trust. The Taliban, who witnesses say crushed several small protests around the country on Wednesday, have been rounding up scores of demonstrators and subjecting them to abuse in overcrowded jails, according to journalists who were present. The repression followed a Taliban announcement Tuesday. Protests would not be allowed without government approval, which is the best kind of protest. The best kind of protest is the one where the government says okay to the protest. Several Afghan journalists said they'd been arrested and beaten in custody. They didn't just say it. They took pictures of what it looked like after they'd been beaten in custody. So um, I noticed that um, we heard constant yammering during the Trump administration about the terrible fate of American journalists like Jim Acosta sitting in an air-conditioned radio studio reading his brand new book uh, and how brave they were. I'm I'm noticing a significant lack of of concern by these very same people over the treatment of journalists in Afghanistan. That's that's totally fine that they are having the absolute hell beat out of them. Apparently, Nemat, a videographer for Etiat Iraz, a local newspaper, said that he and his colleagues had just arrived in the street where several dozen women were gathered with placards and a loudspeaker when Taliban militants from the police station seized his camera and arrested him. He said, they took me into a room, tied my hands with a scarf and started beating me with a cable. Also, Taliban fighters... Uh, started beating women who arrived at a university the other day. That video was available online as well. There are women arriving at the university, and uh, there they are just getting uh, beaten with sticks by the Taliban. It's, it's different Taliban, guys, more moderate. Our friends now, our friends now. So Peter Ducey had the temerity to ask this to Jen Psaki. He said, um, I, I noticed, I, I might have noticed that um, there are more people in the Afghan government who are recognized global terrorists than our women. Do you have anything to say about that, Jen Psaki? No, no, of course not. There are now more terrorists wanted by the FBI and the new Afghan government than there are women. Does the president think that is a foreign policy success? Well, first of all, no one in this administration, not the president, nor anyone on the national security team would suggest that the Taliban are respected and valued members of the global community. Mm, mm, yeah, now that's going to do it. We, we need to, we need to, you know, they're going to have to earn their way into the global community. I noticed that China is about to recognize them. It turns out that uh, you just lost a war to them for no reason, literally no reason, just to placate your 80-year-old doddering senile boss. So really well done, everybody.
Really well done. By the way, Saki did not rule out recognizing the government. And she was asked specifically about recognizing the government. She's like, man, maybe. Waiting for them to do. They just formed their government. But are you waiting for something? Uh, some waiting for what? You're, you're saying that uh, we're not going to rush to recognition. That means that there could be recognition. As we've said many times, the international community is watching. The United States is watching. It's whether they let people uh, depart the country who want to depart, whether they treat women across the country as they have committed to treat and them, and how they that. behave and operate. And therefore, we're not moving toward recognition. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've noticed that they're not doing any of those things. I've noticed. I love Tony Blinken downplaying this. The Secretary of State, uh, he was asked about the Taliban regime. He's like, well, you know, they're, they're, their track records are challenging. Challenging. Uh, challenging is is a word for like you have a test tomorrow in biology and you didn't study until the last minute. That's challenging. Not challenging is what to do about the fact that you just handed over an entire country to terrorists. Second, with regard to the composition of this uh, government or, or, or interim government, um, I noted uh, the fact that it certainly does not meet the test of inclusivity. Um, and it includes wow uh, people who um, have uh, very challenging track records. Harsh words there. The Taliban failing the test of inclusivity. Who could have? I mean, honestly, I'm not sure why he says that. It's the most diverse government I've ever seen. We've been told that diversity is not a matter of reflecting the population generally. Diversity is just a matter of you're not white. So I, I've noticed that uh, there are no white people who are members of the Taliban government, and they're all Muslim, actually. So that's a, by, by American standards, it's a very diverse government actually, is the way that this works. But uh, it, it is an absurdity piled on top of an absurdity. And uh, on top of that, obviously, there's still Americans who are trapped in Afghanistan, and the Biden administration made that happen. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk about the fact there's no reason to go to an auto parts store, like pretty much ever, especially when you can just use rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is so much easier than walking into the store, waiting in line, you get to the front of the line, they ask you a bunch of specific questions about your car, and then they're like, yeah, bro, we don't have the part. And then they order it online, and three weeks later, you have to come back in, and then they upcharge you. Or you could just do it online yourself. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to RockAuto.com shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts? The RockAuto.com catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. They've got amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Go check them out right now. RockAuto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. All right, we'll get to more on this in a second. The surrender of Afghanistan. Collapse at home. Collapse abroad. But don't worry, they'll try to bribe you after controlling you. First, in remembrance of the men and women who lost their lives 20 years ago in the worst terror attack committed on American soil, I sat down with one of the people who shouldered much of the political burden placed on the Bush administration in the aftermath. On last Sunday's episode of the Sunday Special, I was joined by former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. She was an excellent and moving guest. It's available right now. It's informative. It's vital listening. If you haven't had the chance, check it out right now. Obviously, one of the most brilliant women in the history of American politics. Also a person with a front row view of what exactly was going on on September 11th in Afghanistan, in Iraq. She had a lot to say. Go stream it right now at dailywire.com on the Daily Wire Apple TV or Roku app or on my YouTube channel, Ben Shapiro. Daily Wire members get access to special bonus content from Sunday special episodes. Don't miss out. Join Daily Wire today. 
Also, if you like Daily Wire backstage, I have some excellent news for you. This October, not only will we be live and on stage at the famous Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, we're also giving one lucky member a chance to win two VIP tickets to get front row seats. Not just that. The winner will receive a $1,500 gift card to cover travel expenses, a meet and greet with the backstage hosts, and more. Tickets for the Ryman Show are already sold out. So this is your one chance to get in on the action. It is your last chance. Enter when you go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Join one of our membership plans with the code backstage for 25% off your membership. If you're already a member, you'll be automatically entered. So get ready because you might just be on your way to Nashville to meet and hang out with me, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, Matt Walsh, Andrew Clavin, and Candace Owens next month. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Meanwhile, if you thought that Afghanistan, well, you know, we're just forgetting about it. No big deal. Well, um, no one can get out. So there are a bunch of Americans who are still stuck there. According to the Wall Street Journal, efforts to get 100 stranded Americans and thousands of vulnerable Afghans out of Afghanistan foundered on Wednesday as the Taliban imposed more restrictions on flights out of the country. According to people involved in the rescue efforts, the Taliban have refused to allow any commercial flights out of Afghanistan since the U.S. military withdrawal. Since then, private efforts to fly people out of Afghanistan have hit roadblock after roadblock. U.S. negotiations with the Taliban have failed to clear the way. Salmai Khalilzad, America's special envoy on Afghanistan peace talks, has been sending urgent requests to the Taliban to allow Americans and Afghans to leave, said one State Department official, but the efforts have produced no breakthrough. Okay, so the Taliban are just holding them hostage. But, says the administration, they're not being held hostage, just as, remember, they were not stranded. Now they're not being held hostage. It's just that the Taliban are not letting them leave. Right, which is like saying that a person who has been kidnapped is not kidnapped. It's just that the kidnapper refuses to allow them to leave the house and has chained them in the basement. Other than that, they're totally free to leave. Here is Tony Blinken making that absurd contention. As of now, the Taliban are not permitting the charter flights to depart. They claim that some of the passengers do not have the required documentation. While there are limits to what we can do without personnel on the ground, without an airport, with normal security and procedures in place, we are working to do everything in our power to support those flights and to get them off the ground. That's what we've done. That's what we will continue to do. We're going to jabber at the Taliban. It's worked so far. It's working just fabulously. Meanwhile, Jen Psaki was asked, uh, you know, I noticed that there's nobody on the ground actually negotiating with the Taliban to get these people out or provide them aid or anything. There's no one on the ground at all. Whose fault is that? And Jen Psaki has no answer because obviously it's this administration's fault. So instead, she's just like, we're not going to discuss blame. Us blame? No, no, we're not going to do that. Following up on these charter flights that the Taliban is holding up in Afghanistan, the Secretary of State said there are limits to what we can do without personnel on the ground. Yeah. You just said we are not on the ground. You're right. Whose fault is that? I don't think this is about fault here. I'm I'm convinced. I think what people want to understand is what we're doing to help address it. It's not about fault, guys. It's not about fault. That's not at all. Okay, so what we have here is an America in collapse at home in terms of values. And we have an America that is consequently in collapse abroad. In, I mean, we can't even bring our citizens home in the face of 8th century barbarians that we gave tens of billions of dollars of American weaponry to. And then, so what is the offer here? So what is the offer? Seriously, by the Democrats for keeping the country together. So I get the offer from some people, which is let's restore the basic idea of the American bargain, right? That's my idea. My idea is we go back to the Declaration of Independence, we look at its founding principles, we look at the basic ideas that brought America together as a country, and then we're perfected in their performance over the course of two centuries. And we, we go back to that, right? We actually build on the creed again. We, we try to reinstill 
social institutions with some value. We try to, to find communities in which we treat each other decently, right? These would be my preferred solutions, but Democrats have a different preferred solution. Their preferred sol solution is top-down control because they're not opposing the wokes, right? They don't oppose the social agenda. They forward the social agenda and foment the social agenda of the radical left in tearing apart the creedal American nation in order to replace it with a big gut. Like the, the idea here is if you can tear down all the systems, what you will replace it with is a command and control economy complete with command and control of how people raise their children. In the end, the promise is utter control, right? You are going to basically be hooked up to the government IV and you won't have to move. You won't have to do anything. You don't have to be a parent. You don't have to be a worker. You won't have to be a community member. You won't have to do anything. The government is going to take care of you and protect you from all bad things in the world so long as you do everything the government tells you to do. This is the subtle promise behind what the government is constantly telling us about their vaccine policies. It is the subtle promise behind what, Joe, not so subtle promise, behind what Joe Biden says about economics. The idea is we traded away American greatness, the greatness of our original ideals. We traded away the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States in American history and our power abroad. We traded away all of those things for a promise that the government will keep us fat and happy until we die. That is the promise that the Democrats are making to us. And you can see it reflected in two particular ways of late. One is in COVID policy, and the other is in economic policy. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, I've been talking about my Helix Sleep mattress for years. I got to admit, last night was a very rough night. We had to take the dog to the hospital. Dog is okay, but didn't get a lot of sleep. The sleep I did get is thanks to my Helix Sleep mattress made just for me. If you haven't already checked out the Helix Elite Collection, you need to. Helix harnesses years of mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? I took that Helix quiz. I was matched with a firm but breathable mattress. I love it. My wife loves it. They're big Helix fans here at the Shapiro House. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I'm not sure that has ever happened. Helix is now offering 25% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for my listeners. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code HELIXPARTNER25. It's their best offer yet. It's not going to last long. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code HELIXPARTNER25. With Helix, better sleep starts right now. Policy. So let's talk about COVID policy for a second. So as I have been saying, in a normal world where the government's job was not to protect you from every ill of life, we would now be at the end of the pandemic because the government has now done all it can do. It has funded the development of a near miraculous vaccine that radically lowers the hospitalization and death rates from COVID. How successful are these vaccines? Okay, so you've been hearing all the propaganda about breakthrough infections and how you're going to die from it from both right and left, right? From anti-vax people, but also from the people who are in favor of top-down government control and forever masking and never go back to work and all of this crap. How effective are these vaccines? I'm the biggest vaccine advocate, I believe, on either right or left. Why? Because they're damned effective. They're unbelievably effective. Here's how effective they are. According to the New York Times, the rate of infection in unvaccinated people is about five times the rate of infection in vaccinated people. So every week, the average incidence of COVID-19 among vaccinated people per week, right? Like your chances of getting COVID this week, if you are a, if you are, if you are a vaccinated person, is about 64 per 100,000 people. 64 per 100,000 people. So to boil that down, it's about six in 10,000, right? Or one in 25, uh, in 2,000, one in, one in 
1,500, 1,600. Those are your chances of getting a case of COVID and not of being hospitalized or dying. Your chances of being hospitalized, if you are, if you are, if you get a breakthrough, if you're vaccinated, your chance of being hospitalized, if you are vaccinated total, is one in 100,000 people. If you are currently vaccinated, your chance of going to the hospital is one in 100,000. This now means that for the vaccinated, this pandemic is over, was over, and has been over for a very long time. What it also means is that for the unvaccinated, the pandemic is over to the extent that it is no one else's job to protect you from getting a disease against which you can protect yourself any more than it is somebody else's job to strap a mattress to the front of their car if you don't wear a seatbelt, because God forbid you should get in a car crash, you might fly through your windshield and we have to put a mattress in front of our car to make sure that it catches you. That is no one's obligation. It is your job to wear your seatbelt. It is your job to get the vaccine or not to get the vaccine. Now it's up to you, right? That's what we would say in a free country with an effective vaccine. Instead, what we have decided is to cram down the idea that the government can keep you safe from every single thing that exists. And they have to look for a hook for this, right? Because it's killing the economy. Democrats are still pursuing lockdown policies. Democrats are still pursuing universal masking. They're still suggesting that we need economic stimulus. So they need some sort of hook for this. So the hook they've come up for this is that pediatric cases are spiking. Right? There, are, there are a lot of ca- cases that are coming up of children who are being diagnosed with COVID. Now, the reason that more children are being diagnosed with COVID is not because tons and tons and tons of kids are stacking up in the ICU. That is not correct. The reason that there are more cases of COVID that are now being identified is because most schools, before you go back to school, require a COVID test. And a huge number of asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic COVID positive tests are coming back. According to the CDC, the risk to children from COVID, right, the infection fatality rate from COVID for children remains the same now post-Delta as it was pre-Delta. It is not more dangerous to kids. It is just more widespread among kids. There's a difference between dangerous and widespread. Your chances of dying if you get COVID and you're under the age of 18 are basically, not basically, precisely so far as we are aware, the same as they were before the Delta variant. It's just that there's a better chance that you're going to get COVID and have to undergo that risk. But the media have decided to make this in an area of absolute panic, which, by the way, is not the case in the UK where they're not masking kids. It is not the case in anywhere in Scandinavia. It is not the case in Spain. It is not the case in Italy. It is not the case nearly... In, in a bunch of places in Europe, it is not the case. But we got to panic everybody. So according to the New York Post, pediatric coronavirus cases have spiked across the nation as schools prepare to reopen their doors for a new academic year. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, pediatric COVID-19 cases flew past 250,000 for the week ending September 2nd. The Washington Post reported that more than a quarter of all cases that week were among kids and teens. Almost 2,400 of those infections required hospitalization. Okay, but the amount of hospitalization required is generally pretty low. The number of kids who have died total in the United States is about 400 over the course of the entire pandemic. So the the notion that we should be panicking over children at this point is also kind of crazy. Nonetheless, Los Angeles is now mandating that every person 12 and up get a vaccine. LA, according to the New York Times, is poised to become the first major school district in the nation to mandate COVID vaccines for students 12 and older attending class in person. Students would need to receive their first vaccine dose by November 21st and their second dose by December 19th in order to begin the next semester fully inoculated. Those who turn 12 after those dates will have 30 days after their birthday to receive their first shot. Students participating in extracurriculars will need to receive both shots by the end of October. Now, here is the thing. The risk to children of this, like if you're a parent, this is not something that um, 
is necessarily super clear cut, particularly the second shot. Okay, there is a study. It is now in preprint. Okay, it's a study from Tracy Beth Hoag, Allison Krug, Josh Stevenson, and Josh Mandrola. And the study is um, of the myocarditis symptoms of kids between the ages of 12 and 17 who get the vaccine. So what they did is they analyzed the vaccine adverse event reporting system, right? Which is sort of, you know, a, a system that where you're reporting all of your adverse events and it's, you can't always tell whether this is driven by the vaccine, which is why the, the data is kind of sketchy. But it's what that's the only data that we have because the government refuses to do any of the actual research it should be doing. So what they did is they went through the search criteria for myocarditis, pericarditis, and myopericarditis to identify kids with evidence of cardiac injury. They included the word troponin in the laboratory findings to see if uh, troponin, rather, was a required element in the laboratory findings. They were trying to narrow down cases in which parents were complaining that their kids uh, had a heart-related vaccine symptom. What they found is that the rates per million following dose two among males were 162.2 and 94.0 for ages 12 to 15 and 16 to 17. That's per million. Rates among females were 13 and 13.4 per million. For boys, 12 to 15 without medical comorbidities, the rate of these cardiac adverse events is 3.7 to 6.1 times higher than their 120-day COVID hospitalization risk as of August 21st, 2021, and 2.6 to 4.3-fold higher at times of high weekly hospitalization risk, such as during January 2021. So in other words, it is not like super-duper clear-cut for parents that you know, you, des- you desperately want your 13-year-old to get the vaccine, especially dose two, right? Dose one doesn't seem to be nearly as uh, affected by these, uh, these myocarditis and pericarditis events, uh, but dose two seems to have some problems. Okay, well, LA is just mandating it, right? Because the idea is that if you listen to the government, they can keep you safe. If you listen to the government, they can always keep you safe, which is, of course, why the, the media keeps suggesting over and over, invariably, that you must mask up your children. Now, again, the evidence on masking for kids does not exist. There is no study done anywhere that masking for kids significantly lowers danger of transmission among children. Why? Because kids don't wear the masks properly, because kids associate outside of school. And because, again, kids are, are generally not in significant danger of hospitalization and death from COVID. In fact, the stats tend to show that if you're under the age of 18, you are at less risk of hospitalization and death from COVID than if you're vaccinated and 40. Okay, so this idea that the government has to mandate this stuff is just disconnected from reality. But again, the promise that has been made by the people who are pushing for the cultural dissolution of the United States and our foreign policy retreat, the, the case that they make is they can protect you forever, which is why Joe Biden is now going to push private businesses for vaccine mandates. He apparently, according to the New York Times, is going to impose New vaccination mandates is part of a part of a broad plan to put pressure on private businesses, federal agencies and schools to enact stricter vaccination and testing policies as the Delta variant continues to spread across the United States. Now, all of this is part and parcel of a broader economic push, because the reality, of course, is that the economy has been slowing. Now, the case that has been made by people on the left is that the economy is slowing because of Delta. And this is according to the Fed's beige book, according to The Wall Street Journal, quote, the U.S. economic recovery slowed and prices continued rising over the summer as a resurgence of COVID-19 cases linked to the Delta variant led consumers to pare back spending and persistent supply chain problems hampered business, the Federal Reserve said in a report on Wednesday. 
The deceleration in economic activity was largely attributable to a pullback in dining out travel and tourism in most districts, reflecting safety concerns due to the rise of the Delta variant. In New York City, for instance, the rise of Delta forced the cancellation of summer events such as the Fancy Foods Show and the Auto Show. In Minneapolis, the commercial real estate industry, which had expected to benefit from workers returning, saw those hopes dashed when firms postponed plans. In San Francisco, the residential real estate market sagged slightly as would-be buyers put off their home searches in part because of the Delta variant. Now, there is a difference in how states are doing on this thing. As I've noted before, the unemployment rates in red states, the top, the the best states for unemployment in the United States right now are almost universally red, and the worst states for unemployment in the United States are almost universally blue. And that's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Right now, the states that are doing the best in terms of unemployment are Nebraska, Utah, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Idaho, Vermont, Alabama, Oklahoma, Montana, Georgia, Kansas, Minnesota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Iowa, Missouri. Okay, of the states that I just mentioned, the only ones that could be considered blue, like seriously blue, are Minnesota and Vermont. That's it. All of the others are at the very least purple or red leaning. And meanwhile, if you go to the worst states in terms of unemployment, you're looking at, in order, Nevada, New York, New Mexico, California, New Jersey, Hawaii, Connecticut, Illinois, D.C. Okay, every single one of those is a solid blue state. That is not a coincidence. It's because it is not Delta that is killing the economy. It is the forced restrictions and panic-driven nature of government that is killing the economy. By the way, even Biden's own people are acknowledging this. So, for example, his labor secretary, Walsh, Marty Walsh, says, yeah, these lockdowns are just killing business. We need to continue to get people back in the workplace. We need to continue to keep industry moving forward. We can't afford uh, a shutdown like we had a year ago or a year and a half ago now this time. Uh, I, w- I was in a different role. I was the mayor of Boston back then. And when we shut down the economy or shut down the, the city, it was devastating to so many businesses. We just need to continue to move one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. The president has a plan. He's going to continue on his plan. The stock market, for the most part, is doing great. Uh, every day, it's still moving forward. So there's confidence there. Uh, wages are up. But yes, we're dealing with a little bit of inflation. But but I think I think that we've never lived through times like this. We've never had to recover from a pandemic like this. The recovery is in many ways, economically speaking, wildly disproportionate to what is actually going on with the disease. Okay, but but the idea here again is that the promise, the innate promise here, is that you have surrendered your your country and you've surrendered your values and you've surrendered your liberties to people who are going to protect you for all time, which is why now when they're coming up short on that, their answer is we have to crack down harder. We have to crack down harder. Now, you say to yourself, wait, I surrendered my liberty, so you're going to crack down harder on me? It's going to be worse for me? Yes, but here is the compensatory part. The compensatory part is they are going to pay you. They're going to give you money. In the end, as always, the final part of the democratic program is just spend money. Just throw cash at everything. The New York Times admits as much. The New York Times has an article today about this $3.5 trillion bill, which is just a pork barrel of garbage and everlasting social benefits. Right, that's the the social welfare benefits. They have this, this article on it. Here's the title of it. From cradle to grave, Democrats move to expand social safety net. Cradle to grave. And that's it. That's it. We are fat and we are stupid and we are hooked up to an IV that is just dripping apparently dehydrated Cheetos into our blood. And uh, and we are just going to fatten ourselves to death. We're going to surrender on the foreign front. We're going to destroy ourselves on the home front, but at least we'll have cradle to grave everything. At least we'll have, we'll have brought all the resources home and we will pay you to give up all of your liberties. And you will be supported by this vast bureaucracy, by this incredible government. 
According to the New York Times, when congressional committees meet this week to begin formally drafting Democrats' ambitious social policy plan, they will be undertaking the most significant expansion of the nation's safety net since the war on poverty in the 60s, devising legislation that would touch virtually every area of Americans' life, from conception to aged infirmity. Passage of the bill is anything but certain. There is some debate between the so-called moderate faction of the Democratic Party and the progressives. But the proposed legislation would be transformative, a cradle-to-grave reweaving of a social safety net frayed by decades of expanding income inequality. This is the New York Times making the case for why we need the government to take care of us from the time we are born until the time that we die. And so long as the government's doing that, do we really need anything else? Do we need a system of common values? Do we need to live with each other in comedy? Do we need to have any tolerance for dissenting points of view? In fact, there can't be dissenting points of view against a godlike government that protects you from death, infirmity, and fear and poverty. I mean, if the government can do all of those things, what sort of dissent should be tolerated or even, or even allowed under such a system? The pandemic loosened the reins on federal spending, says the New York Times, prompting members of both parties to support showering the economy with aid. It also uncorked decades-old policy desires like expanding Medicare coverage or paid family and medical leave that Democrats contend have proved to be necessities as the country has lived through the coronavirus crisis. Polls have shown for a long time these issues to support American families were important and were popular, but all of a sudden they become not a nice-to-have, but a must-have, said Heather Bushy, a member of Biden's Council of Economic Advisors. They're not going to pay for any of this. They're going to blow out the deficits. They're going to completely undermine the American currency, or they're going to raise taxes radically. But again, what this is about is establishing that government is your father. Government is your protector. Government is the great sky god. And this goes all the way back to the Obama administration. When uh, the when when Barack Obama declared in 2012 that the life of Julia was to be emulated, I don't know if you remember all this way back. It's nearly a decade ago. It was widely derided in 2012. It was widely mocked. It was seen as a major misstep by the Obama administration. The Obama campaign put out a graphic and it showed what Julia's life would be like under Mitt Romney versus what it would be like under Obama. And every single element of Julia's life was a government program that was going to give her something. And if you went back and looked at the program that Julia espoused, that was espoused for Julia for Julia. By the, by the Obama campaign. It talked about how as a, as a little girl, Julia would be given all of these wonderful social benefits. And then as a, a young woman, she'd be given social, and then as an old woman, and then in her death, she'd be given benefits. Okay, this is the promise. So the question is, is that a deal you're willing to make? Right? No future for the country, financially, in terms of values or culture, in terms of foreign policy, no future for the country. But we'll eat and drink because tomorrow we're dead. As John Maynard Keynes once suggested, in the long run, we're all dead. So, you know, that's just the way that it works. If you're willing to make that trade, then this Biden administration is for you. If you're not, now would be an excellent time to push back because there ain't going to be a long time for a, a concerted period for us to do so in the future. All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content coming up soon. Is the Matt Wall Show. It airs at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. 
The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. One of the oldest and largest Confederate statues has now come down in Virginia, but it's what they plan to put in its place that really tells the story. Also, the State Department continues to issue stern verbal warnings to the Taliban over their lack of inclusivity. Larry Elder is physically attacked by a crazed leftist in a monkey mask. And finally, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has made her scientific case for why men can menstruate. Maybe she makes a good case. We'll find out today on The Matt Walsh Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 